Glasgow Grace, how amazing to see you guys. It really is. Um, yeah, so just to kind of pick up on that story, as Ian said, him and I were employed as pastors together at Gateway Church in Poole, which is where you guys were kind of conceived and birthed, I suppose, in a weird sort of way. So I was saying to a group of your leaders earlier on today that I, I just had the great joy of being in the room uh, with Ian when uh, it was kind of, Ian always knew that he was uh, called to plant a church in a kind of a major European city. And uh, the prophetic word uh, that came that day, like, honestly, you you hear the prophetic utterances in the life of being a Christian, but there was something about what happened that day which helps me to stand here this morning and know this is exactly what God has purposed for Glasgow. You guys are exactly what God has purposed for Glasgow. And I'm so proud of everything that's happening here and so delighted for you that that was six years ago. Look at you now, like... There's a load of you sitting here worshipping Jesus, a gospel community. So good. And I'm sure, as Ian said, you probably get lots of visitors coming through here from our kind of advanced world saying that they love you and all that sort of stuff. I'm sure they all do. But genuinely, Vix and I properly love this church. We love you guys. We deeply love these four beautiful people sitting at the front here and so many of you that we've um, got to know over the years. And it's great to see some new faces as well. And I want you to know that I bring greetings and the same sense of love from our kind of leadership team at Gateway as well. I think there's a picture going to come up in a second. There we go. On a day just like, almost like a Glaswegian November day, that isn't it? (laughs) That's our kind of core leadership team at Gateway and uh, these guys also in their greetings. In fact, um, Graham and Claire, who are third from the left, found out we were coming up on Friday. Somehow they missed it. And they're like, could we come with you? And I was like, just calm down. You'll get your turn. So at some point, I'm sure you'll see Graham and Claire. And I think we've worked out that all of the Gateway Elders have been here this year. I think Matthew Hosier is coming up in December. That will make all of us accept one. So hopefully, all of that is by way of introduction to say, man, we love you guys. We're for you guys. We, we, you know, and as far as we're concerned, you have an ally in us. So keep on going. You're doing well. It's great. Ian and Johnny have uh, asked me to pick up in your Partnership of the Heart preaching series. I'm assuming that that'll make a lot of sense to everybody because you're now into week four of this, your kind of partnership booklet, which I'm just loving as well. And uh, I love that you're moving towards formalizing partnership here at Glasgow Grace because I think that belonging to a family and articulating that is one of the fundamental things that makes us human. I actually genuinely believe we're all built for family, we're built for home, and actually that's what you guys are doing here. And partnership for us at Gateway has been such a freeing and helpful way for us to kind of draw the line and say, hey man, this is where the family is, this is where you'll be safe, come inside and let us help you to play your part in the family of God and to be released into all that he's got for you. So I'm really excited for all those kind of possibilities for you guys as well. And I really love these eight partnership values that you're establishing that'll all really help you to connect and play your part well in this gospel community in a city which, frankly, is parched and in great need of the gospel. Glasgow, it desperately needs the, the gospel. Bournemouth Pool, where I come from, needs the gospel. Our European cities need the gospel. So, guys, this is your opportunity. It really is in this generation. Go for it. And so I'm picking up value number four today, which is the value of caring, that one of the things that the gospel calls us into is to lay down our lives for one another in love and to replicate the same sacrificial love and friendship that Jesus has shown us by loving and caring for one another and by extension, 
into your great city as well by showing the hospitality and the care of the gospel to the watching world here in Glasgow too. I recognise that uh, that word care can sometimes sound a little bit insipid or limp. It's, it's perhaps not as fierce as love. It's maybe not as descriptive as serve. But biblically speaking, it's actually both of these things. When Jesus most commonly talks about loving one another in the New Testament, the Greek word that the, uh, that the writers used is agape. And agape, some of you will probably know this, is the kind of love that actually does something. It's it's not just a, a fuzzy feeling. It's love with kind of hands and feet. You do something because you love someone. It's moved to serve and love and care for others. If you trace through the Gospels, you'll often see Jesus was moved to compassion. That's agape. That's care. That's love. He saw a need. He met the need. He proclaimed the kingdom was near. That's your job. That's my job as well. This is the essence of what kind of uh, Jesus is getting at. I want to talk about this morning in terms of how we show care to one another. But, and this is really important. As with all of the disciplines in this booklet, we need to take our start by framing all of this stuff in kind of a little higher, if you like, than our own ability to do stuff. And that's because the human heart has this kind of way of you trying to bend it into shape and say, yeah, I'm going to be a loving person, I'm going to be a giving person, I'm going to be a generous person. But unless it's rooted in something outside of your own ability, it just kind of boom, snaps back. I found that. I don't know if you guys have, I'm sure. I'm sure you guys have as well. You can be the most disciplined person in the world. I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to do this. You can kind of bend yourself into it. But actually, unless it's rooted in and sustained by something greater than yourself, boing, it'll kind of bounce back at you. And so we always need to be finding our source for this stuff and our model for Christian living through Christ and what he's already done for us. There's plenty for us to do, but what Christ has done is the model and the framework within which we do that stuff. And I want to help us today to do that by looking at a passage of Scripture, which I'm praying and have been praying all week, will kind of give us faith in our bones to live out all that God has got for you here at Glasgow Grace as you plunge into partnership together. So let's read this together. It might be helpful if you've got a device or a Bible, or I think it's going to come up on the screen as well. Just have this open in front of you because it's a, it's a relatively dense theological passage of scripture. So it may be helpful to see how the, the verses relate to one another. But this is 2 Corinthians 5. This is Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and we're going to read from verse 18. Paul is talking about what it means to live as a gospel community. And he says, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, Glasgow Grace, the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, therefore, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's the big message. That's the big appeal today. Be reconciled to God. Now, this this next verse, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, is the kind of the very nub of the matter, the essence of the gospel, if you like. You shouldn't really necessarily have favorite kind of Bible passages. Maybe you should, I don't know. But this one, when I scan through the word is a mountain peak. There are four or five places that if I was kind of like on a desert island and had to take some verses with me, 
This one's absolutely one of them. If you get this, you get the gospel. This is the basis for how we care for one another. This is the basis for the hope that we have. Verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay. If you want to excel in living out the values of the Christian life, in caring for one another, here's our starting point. It's this question. What is God actually doing? What is God doing in human history, in every circumstance, in your life? It says it in verse 19. He's reconciling us to himself. He's reconciling the world to himself. He's reconciling Glasgow to himself. And he's doing it through Christ. That's the summary of what God has been doing all throughout history, ever since the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden. God is reconciling us to himself. He's reconciling the world to him. And he's doing it through Jesus. Now, that may seem a slightly odd place to start for me to make an appeal to you to be a people who care for one another and by extension to care for your city as well with the gospel. But consider what God is doing here. He's reconciling the world to himself, which implies that stuff needs reconciling. And that's because it's not already reconciled. If something needs reconciling, it's because it's, it's severed, it's, it's broken, it's not consiled. That's a made-up word, but hopefully you get the point. If something needs reconciling, it's because it's bust. The word reconciliation implies that things aren't as they should be. Reconciliation restores something that's been severed. And so, of course, we ask, well, what has been severed? The Bible teaches it's us. It's our relationship with God that's been severed. And therefore, our relationship with one another is too. We are not naturally predisposed to be conciliatory and care for one another. We're not by nature built like that. That's why we need to not just bend the heart. We need to kind of have a heart transplant through the work of Christ. All of this started with the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden. But before anyone says, well, that's got nothing to do with me, the hard truth is that all of us, the Bible teachers, just like Adam and Eve in the Garden, have fallen and turned our backs on God, looked God in the face and said, no thanks, I've got a better plan. And that has taken us from the kind of the friendship with God column into the hostile towards God column. And our history is just shot through with it. Straight after mankind's rebellion in Eden, relationship with God breaks down, and instantly, relationship between one another starts to break down. Adam blames Eve. Then Cain kills Abel. Then evil increases in the earth, and then the flood happens, which is a kind of decreation, which is meant to restart humanity. Great, so what do we do with this fresh start? We build Babel the tower that was meant to reach and rival God. Then we create Sodom and Gomorrah. Then Jacob cheats Esau. Then Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. Then Israel disobey God. Then they worship a golden calf. Skip forward a few centuries. We've got transatlantic slavery, two world wars, a holocaust, chemical warfare, missiles that destroy apartment blocks and hospitals. It's flipping exhausting. And it's endemic to who we are. This is what we're like. If there's one thing that all these stories, all of human history, even this morning's news headlines, teach us. It's that left to our own devices, we'll oppose all that's good and we'll turn on one another. Now we need legal contracts to bind us to do what we say because without them we won't. 
We need human rights laws because without them we'll mistreat one another. We need truth inquiries because we can't tell the truth. We need peace treaties and defence budgets to stop us firing rockets into each other's countries. Every single major civilization in human history is built by the enslavement of one person by another. Every single major civilization. We are not naturally predisposed of our own ability to love God and to look out for one another. Apart from reconciliation with God, we are in no way able to be reconciled to our fellow man. Injustice and violence, the kind of stuff I've just been talking about, they're just simply the fruit and the function of broken relationship with God. There is a problem of broken relationship with God which leads to brokenness in every other area of our society. Trying to do good, trying to be caring without being properly reconciled to God is like punching underwater. It's impotent and it's exhausting and it's doomed to failure. Just read this morning's headlines, you see for yourself. And so the fact that through Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself is both scandalous in light of what I've just outlined and in light of our rebellion and wonderful in light of what it offers us. And in so far as our efforts are concerned, the pressure is totally off because, verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's given us now the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal directly through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, obvious. Be reconciled to God. What is God doing? He is reconciling us to him through the work of Christ. In light of all of our rebellion and hostility towards God and towards one another, in light of us warring against God, Jesus is God's peace treaty to us, reconciling us back into relationship with him without any cost, without any penalty, free of charge. He's done it all. It's a completely open door. Be reconciled to God. And that is the basis by which you are able to be reconciled, to love and to care for one another. Reconciliation with God is the basis of how we care for one another. And the good news is that it's nothing that you have done or can do. It's what's been done for you. Because God is reconciling the world to himself. Not through the great works of, I don't know, Lewis and Abby or Ian and Lindsay or Johnny and Lynn. He's doing it through Christ. He's doing it through Christ. How has God done this? How has he repaired and reconciled the relationship that we walked away from? Back to that kind of golden nugget verse, the central facets, if you like, of the gospel diamond. If you get this, you really do get the whole deal. This is how God has done it. This is how God is reconciling us to him. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's just dwell on that glorious verse for a moment. At one point, as I've already said, we were in the enemies of God camp with no way back, dead in our sinfulness, every part of us tainted by the severed relationship with God. We're hellbound. But then the eternal Father steps in, the one who's loved you eternally, to rescue you and snatch you back from death and disconnection and bring you back into relationship with him. And this is how he did it. He made Jesus 
who had no sin to be sin for us. And then after he had done that, we became righteous. An impossible exchange happens. Jesus takes on our sin and gives us his righteousness. He is sentenced to death and we're declared pure and free. And it's on the strength of that righteousness that has been placed over us that we are reconciled to God and can be reconciled to one another. That's the whole gospel. So it's, it's worth just thinking that through for a minute. Jesus was perfect. He was the only perfect person in history. He perfectly loved the Father. He perfectly followed his will. He loved and blessed and served everyone he met. If you're trying to work out, or if you want to know what God is like, read the stories of Jesus in the Gospels. In him there was no sin, nor was he in any way by nature sinful. He didn't build a big tower to rival God. He didn't enslave his fellow man. He didn't fire rockets into anyone's territory. He lifted up the oppressed. He fought for justice. He came near to the lowest and the weakest. Everyone tracking with that? That's this side of the equation. On the other side of the equation is us. Violence, inequality, injustice and rebellion. We look God straight in the face and we go the other way. That's this side of the equation. On one side of the equation is the father of eternal love. Uh, On the other side of the equation is the children of rebellion. On one side of the equation is the author and creator of life. On the other side of the equation is the stench and the grip of death. And so to cross from one side of the equation, out of death and into life, We don't kind of just need to meet God halfway. We need to be fully removed from this side where death has its grip on us in order to be fully reconciled with God, the God of life and love, the eternal Father in whom we live and move and have our being, and we cannot do that ourselves. And so here we have Jesus, who is perfectly righteous and perfectly in relationship with God. And here we have the rest of us, tainted by sin and disconnected from God. And given that God is perfectly good and he wholeheartedly loves us and is therefore grieved by our separation from him as any father would be with their child, he's angry against sin because it's sin that's caused this relational and spiritual breakdown for his sons and daughters. And so he's going to do something about this to rescue us, sinful mankind from death. And he's going to punish and overcome the sin that has caused this. And so his solution to this is just to swap the sides of the equation. And the way in which he does it is just beautiful because he takes it all off us and places it all on himself. Jesus becomes sin for us. He takes on, Scripture says that he metaphorically drinks down the full cup of God's anger against sin. And then in perfect obedience to God, he goes to the cross. And the nails that hold him up there are also holding up the record of our sin, such that as Jesus dies, our sins die with him. Jesus becomes sin for us by being treated and regarded as if he was us, an enemy of God, so that we can become like him, righteous. He suffers the fate of sinners, which is death. Isaiah 53, 5 says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And in that moment, it says that the dividing wall of hostility between man and God was torn down. The way has now been made open for all mankind to be reconciled with God. The Father has made a way for his children. This is the hope of the gospel, 
This is the hope of reconciliation with God that we live with. This is the hope of being able to be reconciled to one another that we live with. This is the gospel message that Glasgow needs to hear. Paul uses this word reconciliation really cleverly. It's a Greek word, katalaso. And that word has the, the connotation of an exchange. It means to exchange hostility for friendship. That's what reconciliation is in this context. It's, it's an exchange of bad for good. Hostility for relationship. And the basis of that exchange is that Christ, who was eternally residing in heaven with the Father, has come down to the not good side of the equation, has come to live with us, has borne all of our sin, has picked us up and moved us back to the other side, where he should be, in perfection and into relationship with God. And we now, clothed in all that Christ is, are seen as righteous in the sight of God. Just think on that for a moment. You are seen as righteous by God. Catalaso has happened, an exchange has happened, his righteousness for our sin, our hostility for his friendship. How does that song go? Because the sinless saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. Because God, who is just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Isaiah 53, 5 again, bear in mind this is prophesied 700 years at least before Christ, says, his punishment... The coming Messiah's punishment, that's our peace. And by his wounds we're healed. Healed from death, healed from the stain of sin, healed from severed relationship with God, healed from enmity with one another. We're free now from needing to be like that. And Paul just spells this out to the Corinthians. He says all of us are in the same boat. None of us are able to work this one out by ourselves. But good news God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that now we can be brought near to the Father as sons and daughters together in the same family, the family of God. And of course, it's obvious to say that the thing about sons and daughters in the same family is exactly that. We're in the same family And so our reconciliation to God naturally leads to reconciliation with each other. In fact, reconciliation to each other, being reconciled to one another, being caring, loving, laying down your life for the other, is testimony to what Jesus has done on the cross, because without it, you can't do it. So Paul makes this obvious appeal. Be reconciled to God. Jesus has done what is necessary for you to walk through that open door and uh, receive it as a free gift of life, to move you from the wrong side of the equation to the right. It's all waiting for you to say yes. Maybe for the first time today, be reconciled to God. Maybe today you're reconciled to God and you'd see the gospel afresh and know the wonder of what's been done for you. Now, all of that's just by introduction, by the way. I'm just getting warmed up. This is kind of my big theological appeal to you, the starting point, the place where you couch this conversation for you to be reconciled to God and therefore to be reconciled to one another and by extension to call others in your city into relationship with God or to use the language of your partnership booklet to care for one another with the same sacrificial love that Christ has shown you. And I would say to you, this is an unpopular view but it's a, I think it's an accurate one, That as much as anything, this is an act of the will. It's a decision. It's love 
on the move. It's love with hands and feet and prayers and cooked meals for one another. Love that checks in on the important moments in life. It's love that rejoices together. It's love that sits with one another in our pain. It's love, frankly, like Jesus loved us. This is a decision as much as anything. To love another as a Christian brother or sister is what the Bible refers to as covenant love. And covenant is an unbreakable decision to love, despite the cost. It's like the marriage covenant. My friend Vicky Clark, who um, her husband John and I lead Gateway together, Vicky and I were talking about this recently, and she said when she married John 22 years ago, she made a covenant decision never to not be in love with him. That's amazing. That's what covenant is. That's what a decision of the will to care for and love someone looks like. God has decided to covenant himself to us at great cost, the cost of Jesus on the cross. Now go and do likewise. That's what this is about. So in light of all of this, I, I just want to offer a few thoughts for how we might practically apply this stuff as you care for one another here in the church. I've already said, just, just love one another. Make that decision. Decide now that if you've committed to God and if you've committed to this community at Glasgow Grace, then that means that you're making a decision to commit to the individuals in this church. And that means that we bear one another's burdens. Ask and really listen to how someone is. Ask how work is, how family is, how uh, their faith faith life is. Ask how you can be praying for them. My wife, Vix, often says to someone, what's the one thing I can be praying for you this week? It's a brilliant thing to do. Be like Vix. It's good. (laughs) Forgive one another. Make that decision now. Don't wait until you've been hurt. Decide now to make a decision to be a person of forgiveness. I've been hurt and let down by people at times in the church, and I've hurt and let people down too at times, never with malice, but it happens nonetheless. In a community like this, it just is going to happen, and the chances are that this is true for you as well. We're human. Forgive, and make the decision now to forgive the next time the person hurts you as well. Get it into your heart. Get it into your soul. Get it into your bones. God has forgiven us that we might be able to forgive others. We receive and we give. We receive reconciliation, we offer reconciliation. It's really not right to come to the communion table and claim solidarity with Jesus and his people if you have unforgiveness or malice in your heart towards someone that you are claiming when you eat that bread and drink that wine to be united in solidarity with. So do the hard yards. Speak to someone. Apologize to them if you have to. And train yourself to be a forgiving person. These are the basic rules of being in family. Speak well of one another. Say hello. Say thank you. Appreciate when people serve in the church. Let others know how much you appreciate their good character. Try telling someone in the church you love them. I'm terrible at this. I'm a South African man. I'm not genetically designed to tell another man I love them. But I have friends who lead churches in other parts of the world. In fact, one of them's right here, who every time I speak to them say, hey, I love you, man, or much love. And it undoes me. It really does. And it reminds me that if you're a child of God, then we're in this together for life. This one and the next, by the way. And it's just an incredible witness to the watching world as well. Remember what Paul's saying in this passage, you are God's ambassadors to Glasgow. Jesus said this, the incredible words, by this, let me tell you, by this, everyone will know that you're my my disciples if you love one another. It's a pretty incredible thing to say. It's actually not that difficult a thing to do. Make a decision. These next two are uh, a little bit more thorny, 
But um, as Ian said, I'm kind of a visiting speaker, but not a visiting speaker, so I can say this and I can leave, and these guys can pick up the mess. But I think that they are crucial. Taking into account, I understand, different people's personality and uh, different people will have different tolerances for this type of thing, but I think if you're going to run this race together, I think if we, Christians, are going to run this race together and stay the course for Jesus in a hostile world, then we've got to be really robust with one another in our relationships in the church. That's not harsh, that's not coercive, but we do need to be robust. And I think there's a fear in our society about being robust. Because when you stand for something, you're able to be cancelled. If you stand for something, people say, no, I don't agree with you. And that's okay. The gospel should cause that kind of stumbling to some people. So we do need to be robust with one another. And that's because a true friend is not an enabler of sin or error in your life. A true friend, true love, true care isn't afraid to say, hey man, don't go down that road. It won't do you good. Or I heard you bawling out your kids the other day or your wife or your husband or whoever. Is everything okay? Can I help in some way? I have great relationships like that. It's a beautiful kind of robustness to those friendships. Help me live better. I don't need friends who flatter me and who enable my sin. We need to be sensitive, of course, and skillful in how we do this. But I need, you need, friends who encourage one another in the Lord and help me to stay the course when I'm kind of tempted to run off and follow my own desires. So do you. And finally, we give. You've got a sermon coming up in a few weeks' time. Johnny's going to be speaking about financial giving. And he'll unpack that a little bit more. But when you boil it all down, giving of yourself financially, or actually in, every, in, in any other way, when you serve in the church, but I want to specifically talk about finances, if I'm honest with you, that's an expression of care and love. It's an expression of faith in God to provide what you need. It's an expression of intention to see the gospel go forth, which is what you're called to. And very basically, just look around the room, it's an expression of love and care to one another. That's what it is. One of the ways I care for my own family is to provide for them. I take the weight and the stress of my teenage daughters as they live their life by making sure that I go to work and provide food and clothes and a home for them through the provision of money and material goods. And to not do so would make me a poor father and an uncaring one as well. And so if you're part of the family of the church, then you need to give. That's how it works and to excel in this area of spiritual maturity. I'm not making this stuff up. It's all in God's word. You go and kind of examine it yourself. Ian will give you my uh, email address. You can email me anytime and ask about that, but I'm sure Johnny's going to do an exceptional job talking about it in two weeks' time anyway. Fix and I have practiced giving as faithfully as we can all of our married life, and God has done some amazing things through us. When we give to the church... We're thinking about Christ and what he's done for us, that we might be reconciled to the Father. We're thinking about people who need to hear the gospel. We're thinking about Bournemouth and Poole. You should be thinking about Glasgow. And I'm thinking about my brothers and sisters in the church community who I have responsibility as part of the family to care for. Don't delay on this stuff. Don't delay on any of this stuff. In the New Testament, what tends to happen, you read, guys hear stories, they hear appeals like this, and they don't go home and kind of do a pros and cons list. They strip off and they dive into the river to be baptised. Don't delay. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of God's favour on you. Glasgow Grace, I, uh, I, I truly do love you. I am not just saying that. I, I have made a decision to love this church. I made a decision to love this church long before I knew anyone else in this room apart from 
Ian and Lindsay because I desperately, desperately believe that Glasgow needs the gospel. And I'm so delighted to see this many ambassadors for Christ sitting in the room who've been reconciled to him. And I want to pray for you again in just a second if that's okay. But I think what I want to say to you as I leave is that you do not have to spend one more day in isolation from God and you do not have to live your life in any other way but caring for one another because you've been set free from the opposite. You've been set free from hostility. You've been set free from enmity. You've been set free from separation. And we're in this together as a family on the great adventure of following Christ. Reconciliation with God, this great exchange of hostility for friendship. It's possible. Christ has made it so for you. One of the great freeing and illuminating moments of my whole life was realizing that when I felt most uncomfortable in the world and most uncomfortable with other people, it was because I was being ambitious for the wrong things and looking inwards and trying to bend my heart in a way that, frankly, I couldn't sustain. What would it look like if you made as your highest ambition to be a friend of God, to be reconciled to his people, to care, to love? Countercultural in a society like ours. Unbelievable. Let me pray for us.